1: I know I already said good morning, but I'll say it again. It's good to see all of you here with us. Uh, welcome. Um, I think it's, uh, there's a lot of fun energy in the room when you get to hear how students are, are leading in and stepping up and being able to see what God is doing. And so that's just a great invitation for us. And, and also, before we jump into the service or the sermon... Uh, I don't know if you all know, do you all notice how palpable uh, the murmur was in the room when Ewan's like, give up something like Starbucks. You're like, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, like I could, it was definitely obvious. I'm like, okay, We, we found, we found that, we found that sensitive spot, but, Maybe if we were to do that, uh, that would be just a great way for us to help out. So with that said, um, we are really excited. If we've not met yet, my name is JP. Um, I have the honor of being a pastor here and would love the opportunity to meet you. want to welcome those of you joining us online. If you want to get connected, uh, there's different options to do so at the top of your screen, and we're glad that you're with us. And so whether this is your very first time with us, whether you've been with us for years, we're so thankful that we have this time together to Dive into God's word, to be able to hear and and, and participate in worship, to be able to feel the warmth of community, and to be able to have this time together. So, thank you so much for joining us. Wherever you are on your faith journey, we're so glad that you're here. Now, we are at week four. Somehow we're already in the fourth week, and January is already four weeks old, but we are in week four of um, our series called Revive. Now, our series called Revive, based off of Um, Andy Stanley's study, the five things God uses to grow your faith. And so this is a book and a study um, partner, and we're trying to take some of those dynamics and unpacking that for our lives, because some of us might be in seasons where we're coming into the new year and we want growth. We want to have a better impact um, around us. We want to be able to feel God impacting us, and we want to draw close to him. And so what are some things that God uses in order to grow our faith? Now, as we're in a Revive series and as there's five things, and I just like rhyming, we have um, our list is what we're calling it the five to revive. And these are the five things that Andy Stanley talks about, and it's practical teaching. So the idea that finding biblical teaching that you're not just listening to, but that we put it into practice and acknowledging the fact that it's not just something where we sit here and we hear one thing one time on a Sunday morning and once a week we're in God's word and that's it, it's acknowledging that we want to put ourselves in places and positions to hear what God is saying and then to do something about it. Because when we hear God's words and we put it into practice, it's like we're building our life upon the rock rather than upon the shifting sand where it just goes in one ear and out the other. Number two, we talked about providential relationships. These are the people that God puts in your life, whether for a short time or for a lifetime, that impact your growth in your relationship with God. And seeing who it is that God has brought into your life who can come alongside you and encourage you, challenge you, mentor you, or people that you mentor, recognize that as we teach, we so often grow. We also, last week, we dove into some private disciplines and unpacked the idea that it's not about trying really hard to be good at following Jesus. It's about training as an athlete would. It's putting ourselves in training and taking discipline, which um, Abraham Lincoln talks about discipline and says it's, I'm choosing what I want most over what I want now. And if we live that kind of life, then we're able to grow in our relationship with God. And so, some of these are things that we can do. Practical teaching, we can, we can lean into and put them into practice. Private disciplines, those are things that we could do and we could train and we could learn how to draw closer to the Lord. Other things are things that God provides for us that we don't even, we, there's nothing we can prepare for it, but we can be open to it, like providential relationships. And then, as in our story, personal ministry. Now, how do we define personal ministry? Andy Stanley puts it this way in his study. He says, personal ministry enables us to experience God's power in our weaknesses. We may feel unprepared, but these opportunities are incredibly rich experiences through which God grows our faith. It's when God calls us to something big that we feel like, there's no way you're calling me to do that. There's no way I'm going to be capable. There's no way I'm, and we come up with all these objections or reasons why God's got it wrong and how we are the ones who know what's right. And through our passage today, we're going to see how that script should be flipped, recognizing that we often get things wrong and how God and his calling and his timing and his ministry, he has for each and every person who hears my voice is one that he can use to grow our faith. Now, I became a Christian September 20th, 2003, and then I came down here for my sophomore year at UC San Diego. But very shortly thereafter, I felt called to go into ministry. And so I ended up transferring to Azusa Pacific University um, before my junior year. So September 8th of 2004 was my first, like, Wednesday in the L.A. area. We were living uh, in—I was at Azusa, and I started serving in a church in San Dimas— and Steph uh, was already attending the church, and I remember she sent me a link to a bulletin that we have plenty of opportunities in our bulletins, like, hey, here's a way to serve. And many of you may just look at that and think, okay, well, I'm glad that they wrote that down. But God is capturing some of your hearts to serve. And maybe you found ways to maybe push back on it or, or maybe say, I don't have time now or this isn't the right season. But Steph looked at the bulletin saying, hey, they need help in high school ministry. She sent that to me. So September 8th, 2004 was my first Wednesday in Azusa and I just showed up at church, not knowing how in the world I'm gonna connect with high school students. just decide, okay, God, you're, you're bringing me here. And I remember the very first day was an event where they had, um, it was like an outside event, and there were like tables with like chips and sauces. I'm like, okay, I found my church, I found my people. But um, just go in there meeting with people, and there was, just, there was one student. There was one student who was like, took pity on the new guy and was just like, oh, yeah, you could come sit with us. And for the first few months, I only knew one student or then her friends, and then a couple others, and it started to grow. It wasn't until six to nine months later, I remember I got a card from another student, a different one, and he was saying, you know, basically the idea was like, I feel like I can open up to you because you've been consistent. You've been around. And in a generation that sees so much transition and so many adults that want to evolve and then step back, to have someone who's pouring into them and staying in. And I didn't know what they were gonna ask me. I didn't know all of the vocabulary that they thought was cool. I didn't know any of that stuff. What I knew I could do was to sit and listen, to ask questions, to encourage. And so I started at September 8th, 2004, and then in April of 2014 was my last Wednesday within the high school ministry and the, and the student ministry. I was moved up into um, adult ministries, became a campus pastor, but imagine from those students that we got to know, I've performed like a dozen of their weddings. I've been able to baptize dozens of them. I've been able to navigate when they've lost family members and what that's like. I've been able to see them now raising kids and now some of them are in their 30s, which just angers me in some ways, but it's amazing to think about. And it's relationships that didn't start because I had it all together and knew how to serve in youth ministry. It's saying, God, if you're calling me to something, I'll show up. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll show up. What is God calling you to show up for right now? Let's unpack the different objections we have. Let's unpack God's responses as we dive into Exodus chapter 3 through 4. And as we do, I would ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for our sermon on personal ministry. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who hears my voice today, whether um, this is their first time in church, whether they've been in church forever, or wherever they are on their faith journey. God, I know that each person who hears my voice is someone who is fearfully and wonderfully made by you. Jesus That everyone who hears my voice is someone that you died for on the cross. And Holy Spirit, you are calling each of us to take one step closer to becoming like Christ and getting into a closer relationship with him. Father, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord. We love you. We thank you for the power of your word. And God, I pray that you would speak now and that you would um, touch our hearts in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to hit parts of Exodus 3, we're going to hit parts of Exodus 4. We're not going to read every verse, verse by verse, but we're going to tackle these five different objections that Moses had to his calling, and I wonder how many of them feel like they can relate to objections that you've had to the things that maybe God has called you to do. And so what we're going to start off with is giving the background on the fact that Moses was, he grew up in the, with, the, with the Egyptians. Uh, he was rescued by the Egyptian princess because all the other babies, the Jewish babies, Hebrew babies, were being slaughtered. They put him into a basket, a reed basket that was put into water so that when the princess of Egypt was bathing in the water that she saw the baby was able to pull him out. They said that, I will call you Moses because I, I drew you out of the water. And then recognizing that Moses' sister saw this and said, do you want me to find a midwife that would allow him to be able to be nursed? And she said, yes, go. So that Moses' own mom got to be able to nurse him through that. He grew up, and as Acts 7 tells us, he was in Egypt for 40 years. But then he killed an Egyptian that was um, mistreating some of the Hebrews. Then he escapes because he knows people found out about it. And then, as Acts 7 says, he spent 40 years in the desert. And so he's 80 years old when we reach our passage this morning. And so he's someone that has lived a long life and yet God was not done. Friends, this may be an off-handed comment to many of us, but some of you, you may feel like the majority of your ears are behind you, but God is never too, you are never too old for God to call you to something new and something powerful in ministry. You are never too old to have a place where God is no longer able to or wants to use you in ministry. And so here's what we're looking at here is that now he's walking and he's been in Midian as a shepherd for 40 years. He's 80 years old and he's starting to walk and he sees a burning bush. And he says, I should go look at this thing because the bush is not consumed by the fire. And as he walks over there, he hears a voice from the bush and it says, Take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. We pick up the story here where this is what God says. Um, let's see. Do not come any closer, verse 5. God said, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. At this point, Mo's like, yes, this sounds great, Lord. I love what you're doing. Great call. Thanks for, thanks for remembering them. He says, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now he might be thinking, God, all of those people are enemies of Israelites, but you know, you're, you know what you're doing. You're God. In verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are pressing them. Again. Moses saying, yes, thank you for rescuing the people. The Israelites have been in there for 400 years at this point. Then verse 10. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so then Moses has this moment. That God, I'm 80 years old. I've been in the desert for 40 years. I'm not... I have objections. I have have a few concerns about what you're saying here. What are the five objections that Moses lays out that we may voice many, if not all of them, at some point in our life? And the first one is this. It's this. Who am I? Who am I? Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He's saying, God, Aren't there elders in the Israelites? Aren't there people who are living there that, that would be more equipped? I mean, who am I? I'm just a, I'm an 80-year-old shepherd who hasn't seen and set foot in Egypt in four decades. I don't know what I'm doing. So couldn't you, I mean, why are you calling me to this? Here's God's response that we'll see here. We continue on. As God's response in verse 12, he says, And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So he doesn't go through Moses' qualifications. He doesn't say, well, Moses, because you understand the Egyptian culture, having lived there for four decades, you're probably the best one in order to say, here's how we're going to navigate this. And so Pharaoh, let's have a, a, a little communication, a little negotiation, and we can figure this out. When Moses says, who am I? How does God respond? He just says, I will be with you. He he says, you may not feel like you can do it, but that's okay because I will be with you through it. It's not about your abilities and your capabilities and your experience. It's saying, will you just trust me enough to show up knowing I will be with you and I'm here? And Stephen Furtick, he says this, and I love this quotation. He says, in other words, God bases his argument on his own ability He says, I'm with you, I won't leave you, that's your confidence, that's your hope. It's not saying that, okay, because you have the right qualifications, you are now able to serve in this area, or because you have the right experiences, you are now able to serve in this area. And we are gonna talk about how God has shaped us to serve in our next series. So there is a space to find exactly how God has molded us, but sometimes God just asks us to show up. Sometimes God says, when we say, who am I? I I can't do this, he says, I will be with you. Every step you take, I'm going to walk with you. You are not alone. Your confidence is not in your own abilities. Your confidence is not in how many letters are after your name because of degrees you've received or education you've experienced. Your confidence is not in anything you can do on your own. Your confidence and your hope is that God is with you. And so we think, okay, Moses says, "Okay, I, you know, you say you're with me, but then he hits the next one. The next objection that many of us will ask is this: Well, if who am I? You say you'll be with me, so then who are you?" And he doesn't mean this in a in a who are you to call me. It's more like a he grew up. Remember, he he grew up in the Egyptian gods and so he and goddesses. So he knew that that pantheon, but then he also knew that there was a god. He said, "I'm the god of your father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob." So he says, "Lord." It's been 400 years since we've heard about you. We know the stories that have been passed down orally through verbal communication for generations. But God, we haven't heard you speak in a while. Who are you? And what should I say? So this is where we go right here, verse um, 13. Suppose, or Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? We, we don't see God introduce himself by name earlier in, throughout the Genesis story. We don't see him say, this is my name. You can call me this. He's just God, and he's the ever-present creator, sustainer, the one who forms us and shapes us and breathes life into us. But he says, so he says, what, what am I going to say? What, what's your name? I'm pretty sure if I show up and I say, well, this God named Billy told me to come talk. Like, I don't think they're going to accept that. So who are you? And this is what God says. This is how he responds. He says, then or says, then what shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, you'll notice that the I am who I am, and we did it here too, is all capital letters. It's, 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 a, it's a name, but the idea is this is a name that you will see— um, Jewish culture or Jewish um, history would say that they would never pronounce this name. And the reason why is because it's so holy, they didn't want to risk mispronouncing it and in so doing showing dishonor. So you will see it. Um, and sometimes you'll just see it as our version be Y-W-H-W. It's Yoche which is where we get the words Yahweh. But it's this idea of like, I am, I am who I am. And Andrew Hill and John Walton, they, they explain a little bit about what this mean, name can mean, and it gives us three different ideas. So the name is usually translated I am. and connotes the personal. Realize it's I am, not it is or we. It's, it's, a, it's personal. It's not some transcendental nature. It's not something that is just kind of impersonal within its nature. It's God is personal. He says I am eternal. This idea of I am, I always have been, I always will be, I've existed before time ever became a thing in our imagination. So before you even were a thought of anything, Moses, I've always existed, I will always exist, and if I who have always existed and will always exist am with you, you can be confident. You can have hope because it's not all about you. So he's personal, eternal, and all-sufficient that everything comes out of the I am. So the I am who am, he's the one that's able to spin the universe into motion. He's the one to know all the stars, the names of the stars in the sky and all the number of hairs in your head. He's the one who can know all things, sustains all things, creates all things. If you wanna get an idea of how grand and grandiose and huge God is when it comes to him as the I am who I am, Take, a, take some time later this week to read Job 38 through 41, because in Job 38 through 41, Job has been crying out to God, and, and he finally, you know, he asks him questions, and God's like, where were you? Where were you when I set the sun into motion? Where are you when the goat gives birth to its calves on the mountaintop? Where were you? And he lists four chapters worth of us realizing how big God is, how small we are, and how little we know And therefore, how much we should find our confidence in his bigness, not in our own smallness. Because if that God, the one he does all those things, is with us, well then, friends, if God is with us, who can be against us? Recognizing that the I am who am, he's personal. Sorry, I got very excited there. Personal, eternal, all-sufficient. And these are all aspects of God's nature and his character. So Moses thinks, okay, who am I? It doesn't matter, I'm with you. Okay, Moses then objects, well, then who are you? I am who I am. I've always existed, will always exist. I know all the stars in the sky, all the hairs on your head. I know what you're thinking and where you're going to go, what you're going to do next. Okay, Moses, uh, Moses, I have another objection that I want to say to you, Lord. He says this, the third one is, what if they don't believe? Before we jump off here, you ever had a moment where you feel like God... Might be stirring something in you, but your first thought is, what if no one believes me? What if if I'm mocked? What if I'm ridiculed? I mean, think for a moment what it must have been like to be Noah building a boat in the middle of a desert when there's not a cloud in the sky. What if they don't believe? And Noah says, I'm not going to let what people may not believe about me change what I know and believe about God. So he says, what if I don't believe? And then we, and then Moses says, what if they don't believe? Let's go here. The the next slide here, let's see. So we're going to jump a little bit to Exodus 4. Um, So there's more conversation, but I want to focus on these objections. So then Moses says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? what if they don't believe? What if my worries and fears about what other people think of me, what if I give that more credence and more, a greater volume of voice in my life than what God says to me? If that first week when I show up to high school ministry at Christ Church of the Valley and I'm like, no one here is gonna believe that I'm gonna be a part of a ministry here because no one wants to talk to me except for one girl who took pity on me. But sometimes, even when other people don't believe, we just show up, we obey, we follow, and we draw close to the Lord and see what he can do and how he will grow our faith. Here's how God responds, starting in verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? You almost wonder, like, God, you're calling, like Moses, like, you're calling me to do something big and you don't even know what this is called? He's like, this is a staff. No, I'm just kidding. So he's like, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And then he goes on, and he gives another example. He says, put your hand inside of your robe, and then withdraw it. He puts a hand inside of his robe, he withdraws it, and it's leprous. It has all, uh, it looks like he's got leprosy. And then he says, now put it back. He puts the back into the hand, and he pulls it back out, and then it's clean. He says, if they don't believe the first sign about the snake, they, they'll, they may believe the second sign about the hand. And then he says, but if they don't believe either of those two signs, then take some of the water from the Nile, pour it out, and it'll be turned into blood. So what he's saying is that if they don't believe, he's like, I will provide clear evidence that this is what I'm calling you to do. Now, that doesn't mean that if you feel like God's calling you to ministry, you should just put your hand inside your jacket and see if it's leprous, right? But what it means is that God will reveal to you and he will show you signs that will help other people believe. Because what I learned about calling many years ago was this idea that when I first felt called to ministry, it was I feel called, but there's there's this internal call to something. And then there's often an external validation of that call. So if I were to go up and I would say, I feel called to be on a home improvement st- like, uh, show with um, HGTV, I can't even say it cause I don't even know enough about it, but with HGTV and like, oh, I feel called to be able to renovate things. Well, what's your evidence of that? I don't know. I don't even know how to swing a hammer. Like, I don't know how to do any of this stuff, but I feel called to do it. Well, there are times when God will say, hey, let me show and reveal to you how you will be able to fulfill that calling. He says, I'll be with you, that's your confidence, that's your hope. I am who I am, I'm personal, I'm eternal, and I'm all-sufficient. And I will reveal to you and encourage you through what other people can also see as you lean in, as you show up. And so Moses keeps going, okay, you have this list of here's what I want to talk about. And then he's like, each one of these objections, God has a response to. The fourth one is the one that this one Um, I think resonates with me, and and I think, if I'd wager a guess, would resonate with a lot of us when it comes to calling in ministry. And the fourth objection that Moses shares to God is that I am not blank enough. Good enough, smart enough. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough ability to sit and talk to students. I don't know how to talk to that. I don't know how to care for kids and to teach kids in a Sunday school. I don't know how to lead a group of men or a group of women. I don't know how to do it. I'm not, I'm not good enough, God. I'm not capable enough. I need more training. I need to go to an online school. I mean, whatever it is. And so I've left this blank because for you, it may be something different. You may think, I feel called to do something, but I'm not enough. And if we're not enough, this is God, this is Moses opening up another layer of how the, the, the insecurity and the pain and the heartache many of us feel. God, I know who you are. I hear who you are. Even if other people were to believe, but what if I'm not enough? When we were getting ready to move here uh, five years ago almost now, I just remember thinking, we're, we're uprooting our family from the only church they've known, from their friends, from our home. And I remember just coming down here and thinking to myself and praying like, God, what if I fail? Like, what if I've uprooted my family and it all just comes crashing down? And, and the response was, you'll do fine and then I'll throw a pandemic your way. And no, I'm just kidding. So just, <laughs> It's acknowledging that sometimes we just have those questions. What if I'm not enough? Friends, you ever hear that phrase, you fake it till you make it? I hate that phrase. Because no matter how much I fake it, y'all might think I make it, but I still know the fakeness of it, right? So it's more like, God, how do I navigate this? And so I feel confident that God wants to fill in that gap, those those insecurities, those wounds, those words, those things that have sat in, those, those soundtracks that have repeated in your mind that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not able to do certain things. God wants to God wants to show you, hey, don't worry about what you're not. Focus on who I am. Exodus four verse ten. This is when Moses gets back into his his uh, his objections. He says, Mo- Moses said to the Lord, "Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. God, I can't speak." God, I can't go in front of the most powerful ruler in the entire world, and I can't demand that he allows his slave force, his task force, to be able to be removed. God, I can barely talk right now, and so I'm not good enough, I'm not eloquent enough, I'm not able to do what you're calling me to. How does God respond? Verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. He's, you can almost sense he's getting a little, he's saying, Moses, just do what I'm asking. You ever said that to your kids or grandkids? Just do what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking for a verbal response because that would be all of us. But it's acknowledging, just, can you just do what I'm asking you to do? Can you just do it? I know you don't know all the steps. I do, I'm with you. I know you don't even know who I am, but I'm all eternal and personal and all sufficient. I'll be with you. I know you don't think that you have the ability and you, you, what if people don't believe you? I'll show you signs. I'll encourage you along the way. I know you don't feel enough, but I will help you. I will speak for you and through you, and I'll teach you what to say. So if we think, oh, I can't, I don't know how to, what to say about something or, or wh- how to speak to students or speak to kids or to lead a study or whatever it is, and we say, I don't know what to say, God's like, I'll help you show up. Well, I don't know how to, how to be able to um, help people and to feed people. Hey, just, will you just show up and let me use your hands? Just to, to hand out food? Show a smile? Well, well I, I can't, you know, I don't have a very ability, good ability to walk. Well, will you just, you don't have to walk all the way up the John Muir Trail. Can you just walk across the street and build a relationship? Don't focus on what you can't. Focus on the fact that God is. And this isn't like a pep talk, like, let's go in the world. But like, it's this idea of acknowledging that God, with every objection we have, God points the proof back to his character. And he says, I'm with you. I love you. I'm here for you. I'll teach you. Can you trust me? But then Stephen Furtick, he says this. When we think of all of our ways that we fall short, Stephen Furtick puts it this way. He says, before you were born, Before any of your defects were apparent to you, they were absolutely apparent to God. He's not surprised by the issues or the concerns that we have, right? That didn't stop him from calling your name and setting you apart. He placed you on the earth at a certain time for a pre-decided purpose. He knows my flaws. He knows your flaws. But that doesn't mean he stops him from calling us to do something in ministry that will allow him to be glorified, others to be served, and for our faith to be grown. There's, he knows all of them, but we, and we know them too, but it never stops them. We go look at Warren Wiersbe, and here's what we, we kind of alluded to this earlier, but he says, Moses completely missed the message of God's name and God's miraculous power. I am is all that we need in every circumstance of life, and it's foolish for us to argue, I am not. If God is the I am, and if he's calling you to something, right? Like this is not something where, you know, all of a sudden you're just going to maybe come up with something. But if God has been stirring in your heart and you look at the bullets and you see ministry needs, or, or you walk at the church around and you see, man, it sounds like, or it looks like people need help here, or, or maybe I could serve there. Maybe you're driving in your community and you see, well, I see, I know that we're partnering with Community Food Connection. Maybe there's a way I can work there. Or, 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 or hey, there's Life Choices Pregnancy, Crisis Pregnancy Center. Maybe there's something... I can do there. Or maybe it's something we say, hey, Ladle Fellowship, we have opportunities to serve the poor in downtown San Diego. Maybe I can just show up there and maybe God would call you to do something that would expand your faith because we feel insecure, because we know that we can't do it on our own. But because of that, it shows God's light and his presence shines forth all the more. And so we've here the four objections. This is Moses. He's on his last. This is his last word. He's got nothing left. God's answered questions. He's responded, maybe not the way that Moses wanted, but the way that Moses needed to hear. And finally he says, number five, God, send someone else. Just send someone else. Here's here's what he looks like, verse 11, or sorry, 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. He even said please, right? People think if you say please, you get whatever you want, it's not accurate. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Friends, this is the only time God actually gets angry with Moses. He he, he acknowledges that we have some insecurities. He acknowledges that we might need some encouragement. He, He reveals that he's with us. He gets angry when he says, when when we say, Hey, Lord, are you calling me to do this? Call someone else. This is not for me. You've answered all my objections. You've responded in all these ways, but you just say, Lord, send someone else. And, and maybe that's out of deep hurt. Maybe Moses knows his flaws so deeply, he thinks there's literally no way you can work through me, God. Maybe it's from pure defiance. No, send someone else. But he said, please, so it's probably not that one. But it's this idea of the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Because he said, Moses, I've called you. Friends, he's called you to do something whether that's ministry inside the church or outside the church. Friends, everyone here is a minister in some way or another. Minister comes from the word servant. We're all called to be servants. We're all called to put the needs of other people above our own. We are all supposed to have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of, but made himself nothing in the very nature of a servant. And in so doing, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We are called to be servants, to be ministers, whether that's inside the church, outside the church, both. So if God is calling you to something, and you're praying about it, and he's revealing that, Don't ask him to have someone else do what he's called you to do. Warren Wiersbe, he says it this way. It's one thing for us to know our own weaknesses, but it's quite something else for us to say that our weaknesses prevent God from getting anything done. Instead of being an evidence of humility, this attitude reeks of pride. It's saying that God, somehow, I'm so broken that even you can't do something with me. Friends, there is no one who is so broken that God can't work in and through them. In and through each of us. So the flip side of Moses' response is we see this in Isaiah chapter 6 when he's in the throne room. And he's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be undone. because I'm unglued by looking at the majesty of God and seeing the angels and seeing all this stuff. And God, as Isaiah is in the throne room Isaiah 6, 8, it's a very famous verse. It says this, I heard the voice, this is uh, Isaiah speaking, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And I said, here am I, send me. Moses, he starts with a here am I statement. He says, Moses, Moses. And in verse 4 of Exodus 3, he says, Moses said, here I am. But then he got distracted. He started making objections. He started falling into insecurities that in someone else. May we have a here am I mindset once God is calling, and even after the calling, we have to figure out the response that He has for us. May we say, Here am I, send me. So we've got just a couple minutes left, and we could talk through the different objections. We can acknowledge that they're there, but let's go through a list of three very quick things that are quick but not easy, but three things that, what do we do? Like, what do we do with this? God's calling me. If God's stirring something in me, he wants me to show up. How do I show up? What does that look like? Let's give three very quick points, um, and then we'll close with our sermon. So the first one is this. Just use what you have. Just use what you have. And here's where that comes from. In Exodus chapter 4, after this whole conversation when Moses is saying, well, I, you know, I I can't do it. The Lord's anger burns against him in verse 14. Then you jump down to verse 17, and it just says, but take this staff in your hand, so that you can perform the signs with it. Remember in verse 2 of chapter 4, God's like, what is that? It's a staff. All right, you're going to use that. It's not saying, hey, before you can be used by God, go get a ministry degree. Before you can be used by God, make sure that you can carve out 10 hours every week at the exact same time. Use what you have. If you have two hours a week— that you're available, how great would it be to be able to invest in that in our middle school and high school students? If you have an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, how great would it be to teach and to serve inside of our children's ministry? If you have the evenings only available, how great would it be to come alongside in a small group? If you only have at one Sunday, a few times a year available, how great would it be to sign up for Ladle Fellowship and say, here's how I can serve? If you only have one Saturday or Friday night in February available and it says, why don't we come alongside Trinity Church in Poway and let's throw on, throw the night to shine event and help them feel celebrated, help special needs people feel loved and cared for in a world that tells them quite the opposite. He says, just use what you have. Don't wait to have it all together and don't wait to go get something else. Use the time, the talents, and the treasures that you have now for his kingdom. Number two. Just do what you can do. Don't don't think about what you can't. Just do what you can. We heard the example earlier with the middle school ministry, and so this is one of the slides that was there. I wanted to pull it up again. That Nico, who helped write uh, the script and was here in the front row, when she found out about this project, what did she do? She said, within one week, I walked dogs, I babysat, I raised $100, and I was able to give that and donate that. She she didn't think, oh, well, I can't go to a a big corporation and ask them to donate from a 501c3. Like, what can I do? I can walk dogs. I can babysit. You think, I I can't talk to students. Well, what can you do? Can you just show up and listen? Because from experience, that tends to work really well. Can you just show up and maybe, like, I can't lead a Bible study? Can you open up your home? So that people can feel hospitality in the midst of that? So Nico just says, I'll I'll just do what I can. And so instead of focusing on what we can't, let's just do what we can do. And then the last point, and this is from Andy Stanley, he says it this way, the last one is, and then trust God to do what only he can do. Trust God to do what only he can do. That there are some things that, no, Moses, 80-year-old shepherd in Midian, cannot convince Pharaoh on his own to be able to release his workforce. But Moses being obedient to the call of God and just showing up and just doing what God tells him to do can be the catalyst for God to move in incredible ways to let his people go. Just use what you have. Just do what you can do. And then trust God to do what only he can do. Andy Stanley says it this way, God builds our faith when we minister to others even though we feel inadequate and unprepared. We are challenged to simply do what we know how to do and to trust God to do what only he can do. No more, no less. Let's not focus on what I am not able to do and let's focus on God as the I am. Now to close, we have I want to give two verse comparisons because we're talking about personal ministry specifically in the context of how it helps grow your faith. How it helps us to realize, oh my goodness, God is so big and I am so small and I am so grateful to be able to use, be used as a part of the puzzle piece of his kingdom working. And so what I want to do is compare in Exodus 3 verse 12, we see what God says when he says, hey, I will be with you, but let's go to the next slide. I will be with you and this is, will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, I'm a little practical here because I'm thinking, Lord, I would really love to know that you're with me, like, now. As opposed to after I go to Egypt, after I help all the people escape, after we somehow get past the Red Sea, and after we are all of a sudden back here at Mount Sinai, then you tell me that's how I know that it was you because because we're going to worship you in the future? God... I'll trust you, I could do all, but it'd be nice if I knew now. Friends, we often see that the sign that God is working in our lives comes after the call and after the obedience, but we often learn that we only see it, Well, sorry, we often see that the sign happens after the call, but before we are obedient. And then he says at the end, look and see what I've done. Exodus 24, we compare this to now they're in the desert. They've gone through the Red Sea. The 10 plagues have come. God had the people be able to escape through the Red Sea. They've already started grumbling because that's just our human nature, and they're in the wilderness. But then they get up. He got up early in verse 4 the next morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And then verse 7 then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, "We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey." The mountain connects the sign to the promise, and yet obedience is in the middle. The sign, promise, and obedience is in the middle. So here's where I want to go with this. Maybe some of you think I, I, don't, I don't have what it takes. Dale Moody says this when he talks about Moses. It says Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Friends, if you feel like you're not good enough, you feel like you're just a nobody, remember that Jesus picked not the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest. God shows through Jesus, God shows 12 nobodies in the eyes of the world to change the world for everybody. We wanna be a, a nobody who is willing to tell anybody that there's a somebody who can save everybody. And so that, that was a quote from Franklin Graham, I believe, so I don't want to take credit for it. I'm pretty sure that's who it was. But there's this idea of recognizing God can use nobodies, not because he, we're nobodies in his sight. We might think we're nobody. We might think we're not enough, but you are enough in the eyes of God to do what he's called you to do, to go where he's called you to go, to show up where he's called you to show up, and to serve in ministry the way that he's called you to serve. And when we obey and when we follow, our faith will be grown that we can see, God, I look back on it and I can see how you've used this. Just like Moses looks back on the mountain and he says, God, I see it was you. Thank you for not sending someone else. And next time, may I reply, here am I, send me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our sermon today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. Lord, I thank you for the fact that, Lord, there are no nobodies in your mind. Each person who's ever existed is created and shaped and molded by you, that you breathe life into us, that there are no accidents or mistakes, that you love us far more than we can imagine. And Lord, I ask, we ask for forgiveness for the times that we've allowed our insecurities to cause us to create objections to what it is that you're calling us to do. Father, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impress upon us what it is that you are calling us to do. That we wouldn't go after callings that we think we want, that we wouldn't try to go somewhere that we think you're leading us. But Lord, like in the wilderness, there was the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that led the people. May we feel your presence leading us. And when we hear your voice, may we respond. May we not go anywhere you aren't leading, but where you are leading, may we follow you with courage. May we say, here am I, send me. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. And I pray that you will stir within us ways that we can serve that'll grow our faith in you. In Jesus name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening. So you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.